We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Friday, August 28th. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and I'm doing a solo show today. My man Vince D'Addario is not with me today, Uh, but I wanted to come meet with everybody today and share some things that are going on, and then also to do a mailbag podcast and some really good questions uh, today. But first, I wanted to just kind of share some things that are going on. Vince and I had a meeting yesterday and we're we're so excited about the season being getting ready to start here in just just over 2 weeks. Obviously next tomorrow we'll actually have some football Central Arkansas and Austin P, so I'll be watching that. There's going to be some football the week after and then of course a week after that Notre Dame kicks off the 2020 season. So obviously we're excited about that, but we're also excited about what's going on at Irish Breakdown and just to share some things with you guys. Look, when we started really ramping up this podcast and, and started promoting our site, you know, one thing we said to you all was we wanted you to be a part of what we're doing. And we really want to build our Irish Breakdown community. And obviously what's been going on in our country the last five, six months, it's been it's been a challenge. There's no sports to talk about. Well, the last three weeks, coming into this week, the last three weeks was actually our best week. So when you look at week, just activity on the site, message board posts, page views, just people and then also page reviews in relation to the number of people that are on the site you know and i i'm a believer that if we're getting a lot of page views and it's coming from a certain group of people as opposed to a bunch of people just kind of coming for one story and leaving that's really a healthy way to go and so the last three weeks our page view numbers our interaction numbers our people staying and reading multiple story numbers 
were really excellent and growing each week. And, and honestly, the last three weeks coming into this week were the best we've had since right when the season ended and, you know, between that, that stretch of between the bowl game and signing day. And better than any stretch that we had during the season last year, which is really great news. But this week, right now as of Friday afternoon, uh, we are having our second best week in our history here at Irish Breakdown in regards to traffic on our site. Uh, it is, it is, and honestly, by the end of the day, we'll probably surpass our best week. And that includes everything during last season. So we're clearly growing, and, and obviously it's a, a lot of you are a big part of that. For you that, that are a part of our site on a on a just right now, just as members or just casual readers, if one thing that we decided to do a while back was number one, keep most of our content free. Vast, vast majority of our contents remain free. Because with everything going on in our country, I just didn't feel it was it was the right time to really make membership pushes, especially since there were no sports to talk about. But also I knew a lot of people were struggling and and, uh, you know, just it was just we just felt it was best to let's just keep making our content free. We allowed the uh, a lot of the subscriptions that uh, or the, the free trial periods that a lot of people had had surpassed, but we just kind of let them stay. Uh, and, you know, a lot of those are ending here by the end of the, this uh, this month, which is coming up. But, you know, so we, we're starting now our premium push as we get closer to the season. We're now two weeks away. And so first of all, if you're not a premium member with us, please do. We're going to have a lot more premium content coming out. Our premium message board is really taking off and it's a great deal. And, and it's, here's, here's the deal. It's $5.99 per month or $59.99 per year, which comes out to $4.99 per month. But that's not it. First of all, that's not a special rate. I know maybe some other places are offering that as a special rate, but the, here's the reality. When that rate is over, whether it's a 30-day thing or a one-year thing, then you get billed for their normal rate, which is about twice as much as what we're charging. This is our rate. It's not a special. However, here's some things that come along with this rate. And it's, again, not a special. It's just a part of what we're doing with Sports Illustrated and the Maven Coalition. If you sign up for Irish Breakdown, either as a monthly subscriber or an annual subscriber, what comes along with that, obviously, is all of our premium content. Right now, there's only two premium sites in the entire network, and that is ours and the Dallas Cowboys. Very, very soon, we're going to be launching a more of a premium access to every all of the sites, and they're going to start, I believe, we're going to likely see some NFL stuff starting here very soon, where they're going to start putting out more premium content, and they're going to have their premium boards. If you So if you sign up for our site, you get free access to all the premium content on all the NFL sites. You also get a subscription to the magazine Sports Illustrated. Now, if you're a monthly subscriber, you basically have that membership or you have that subscription until you stop being a monthly subscriber. So as long as you keep renewing, you will keep getting the magazine. Uh, that also includes a digital edition of the 2020 NFL football preview. Of course, the NFL is going to start be starting here very soon as well. So you'll have access to that. So that's a that's a lot of what we got going on, and I'm really excited about it. So you get all of our premium content. You get a free subscription to Sports Illustrated. You get free access to all the premium content that's going to start coming out on all the NFL sites. All of it for $5.99 a month or $59.99 a year, which would then save you a dollar per month. So really excited about what we're doing. And if you're not a premium member, please do. Uh, you're really going to love the content. I'm going to, here in the next week, I'm hoping to announce some of the things that we're going to be doing, some of the people that are going to be joining us this season. 
and it's going to be a lot of fun. So hopefully you'll be able to, uh, to get on board with that. So now that we have that out of the way, let's jump into today's mailbag. And of course, these are questions that come from Irish Breakdown subscribers. We're going to kind of go just as I got them, but there is, I'm going to take the latest question and I'm going to answer that first. And the question is from MD Lambert, who has some more questions later, but he says, what is your take on the Twitter situation between the Notre Dame account, Notre Dame coaches and players and Notre Dame fans this week? So if you're not familiar um, the Notre Dame football account put up a tweet this week in support of Black Lives Matter, uh, and the tweet said, you know, let's keep the conversation going, essentially. And some Notre Dame fans did not like that. Some support it, and some don't. Like every other thing that goes on in our country right now, some people are going to support it, some people aren't. And there were some fans that vo- voiced displeasure. I thought some of the pushback against the tweet was rational, made some good points. Some of it was irrational unnecessary over the over the top uh and then of course that caused the Notre Dame players to respond and and there was kind of a a back and forth between some of the Notre Dame players uh some Notre Dame coaches got involved in the mix um I I don't really care to dive into the specifics of whether I agree with their post or don't agree with their post or do I agree with their responses or I don't agree with the responses the simple fact of the matter is is I'm not I'm not going to dive into that political aspect. What I will say is, is this, my frustration with, and really it comes from both sides of this conversation. And I am having this conversation a lot in my personal life, just I'm not going to have it publicly and I'm not going to have it in my, as part of what we do here. But, but what, what I will say is this, the original Notre Dame tweet said, I believe it was, you know, keep the conversation going. And I think that right now is my biggest problem with this entire thing. I wish that I could say to the to the Notre Dame players, um, I support your desire to use your platform to make a difference. I, I had somebody ask me what I thought about the school and whether or not the school should support this or that, and, and, and I do. I, I think that I'm not one of those people that necessarily thinks that you know, just shut up and dribble or just play ball. I do think there's a time and a place for you to use your platform to make a difference. Uh, I believe in, I believe in that. Mike, and I believe that people have a right to say what they want to say. I'm a big First Amendment, Second Amendment, I mean, all the amendments, but especially the First and Second Amendments, I'm a big proponent of both of those. I think the other thing to understand is, I support that platform, but I think number one, you have to understand if you're gonna if you're gonna speak your mind, then then you have to understand that not everybody's gonna agree with you, and to simply chastise people for disagreeing with you doesn't advance the conversation. And if you're someone who does not support the Black Lives Matter movement because you have trouble separating the notion that Black Lives Matter with the Black Lives Matter organization. I'm sympathetic to both points of view, and I'm having those conversations with people that I know and respect. I would encourage you to, to in your chastisement of the Notre Dame account or Notre Dame players, to consider, do you want to simply condemn, or do you want to have a conversation? And if you just want to condemn, then keep doing what you're doing. But if you have a want, to, want to have a conversation because this topic and these matters are important to you, 
then I would encourage you to consider a different tact and, and try to be more conversational. At the same time, the Notre Dame players and coaches and the Notre Dame media account, if you want to wade into this battle, and that's really what a lot of this is, I'm okay with that. I'm not someone who believes in sticking to sports, but at the same time, don't say you want to have a conversation and then refuse to join in the conversation because here's the reality that both sides of this argument need to understand. A conversation is not a lecture. You don't sit down and say, hey, Notre Dame players, shut up because this is what is really Black Lives Matter is all about. At the same time, if you're a Notre Dame player, you shouldn't be saying, or a coach, you shouldn't be saying, I'm going to say what I want to say, and you need to shut up and like it. That's not a conversation. That's a lecture. And if we're really trying to have a conversation, and if we're really trying to make a difference in our society and not just score political points, then we all, and this goes for me too, because I'm trying to do this uh, you know, in my own life, because I have a hard time listening sometimes too, because I have convictions about what I believe in. If you, you have to be willing to listen to the people that are disagreeing with you. You have to be willing to understand where they're coming from. If you want them to understand where you're coming from, and again, this is for both sides of this argument. If you want people to understand where you're coming from with something, you need to be willing to listen to their side and engage it. doesn't mean you have to agree with it. You have to understand it because you can't argue against something that you don't understand. And when you start making assumptions about where people are coming from, then you're, you're really not that much more guilty than what you think they're doing to you. Listen and embrace it and then push back, challenge. Come with your data, come with your facts, come with your experiences because all of those things are important in this conversation. It's not just data and numbers. It's also about experience, but it's also not just about experience. It's also about data and numbers because anecdotal things can also be just as problematic. And again, this is for both sides. So my encouragement is, if you love Notre Dame football and you also are someone who feels like these things are important enough for you to go chastise or challenge a Notre Dame football player, Notre Dame account, be, and be willing to do it in a conversational manner. And if you're a Notre Dame football player, Notre Dame football coach, and you really want to make a difference, just shouting down people and just telling people good effing riddance, which was something said by a Notre Dame player, isn't going to actually make any difference. Because at that point in time, you're just speaking to your echo chamber. And you haven't made a difference because you haven't changed anyone's mind. And all you've done is get people to, to close their ears and start ignoring you. And that's how we just continue going down this path, which has led us to where we are now. And nothing will change. And in fact, it'll get worse. So hopefully we can all say, hey, we're Americans and we want this to be a great country. Whether you don't think it is or you do think it is, I think we all agree that we want to get there. So let's do it together. Let's talk. Let's listen. Doesn't mean you can't be passionate. Doesn't mean you can't have strong convictions, but stop assuming the worst in the people that don't see eye to eye with you or don't look like you and start having that conversation that you all say you want and we all say we want. So let's do it. Now, let's get into some Notre Dame football, and that's the last I'm going to talk about that in, uh, in this kind of public forum. So let's start getting into some Notre Dame football now. We are going to start with my man, T13 Brew. How ready is Brennan, how ready is Brennan Clark should he be called upon, especially early in the year? Um, what are some positive signs you'll be looking for in the first few games under Tommy Reese? So let's, uh, Brendan Clark, I, I don't know how ready he is. I, I think physically, I think Brendan Clark is ready. Uh, I think he's got a big arm. He's athletic. 
you know, I heard a lot of good things about from him from from players and, and parents and coaches last year about, you know, and he's really locked in and his technique and mechanics are good and he's confident. He throws a gorgeous ball. Uh, you know, not only does he have a powerful arm, but he, he throws a really catchable ball when he's locked in. Now, he'll, you know, last year when we saw him, he would throw some balls. We we're like, whoa, that looked pretty coming out of his hand. It was eight feet away from the intended target, but man, it sure looked good getting to that area where there was no one. Uh, I expect that to change because he's a talented kid, and the further he gets away from also playing baseball, I think the more his mechanics are going to become more compact and more tight and more efficient. So, uh, you know, mentally, I, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, look, I think he's going to need some time early. I think it would be very smart for Notre Dame uh, this season to get Brendan Clark, Andrew Pine, some opportunities early in the season. If you're up on Duke, you know, 31 to seven early in the fourth quarter, like you were last year, don't keep putting Ian Book in a game. Get the young quarterback some chances. Get them some chances when you have your first team offense in the game. I think that would be smart. Do the same thing against South Florida because you're going to need them to have that experience and opportunity. And, and that's how we'll find out if he's ready. Uh, you know, I, beyond that, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't possibly answer that. And obviously we haven't been in any practices, so I don't know what I've seen. I, I, you know, Brian Kelly said he's he's been up and he's been down, which is, I think, what we would expect from a redshirt freshman quarterback uh, who really has very, very little playing experience and only has one career – I believe he's only has one career pass attempt, and that was a screen behind the line that went for a touchdown. Uh, so, you know, talent's there. We just He's just going to need some time to, to get ready, and hopefully he won't be called upon as the starter or, you know, coming off the bench for an injured Ian Book uh, at any point in time, especially not early in the season. That second part of the question is, and there's a couple parts of this, what are some positive signs you'll be looking for in the first few games under Tommy Reese? I think for me, a couple things I want to be looking for is I want to see some more diversity from this offense. If they're not going to go tempo, then I want to see two tight ends, three receivers, four receivers, two backs. I want to see a lot of different personnel diversity. I want to see a lot of motions and shifts. I want to see. Uh, I don't want to see a lot of the same concept or, or a lot of different concepts. I want to see similar concepts run four or five different ways. Uh, I want to see them coming out playing physical. I want to see them coming out trying to establish the line of scrimmage, but also not doing it in a way where you're being predictable. Um, and not really preparing yourself for the bigger games. I want to see. Uh, I want to see his. I want to see him uh, specifically to Tommy Reese beyond just the specifics of the offense. I want to see him and how he adjusts in games. I think that one thing I did like about Chip Long, and I've really liked this about Clark Lee and Mike Elko, was the same way. Was is they would adjust pretty well in most instances. So you know, team comes out, they're going to show one thing, and then they'd be able to dial up a play. Um, that would take some of those some of those opportunities that they were seeing and, and be able to attack it. And I want to see I want to see Tommy Reese do that. I think it's something that mentally he's going to have a knack to do because it's it's you know it's something you have to think about when you're a quarterback. So he's got a lot of years thinking about those type of things, even though this is his first time doing it as an offensive coordinator. But look, when I was early in my coaching career, before I started having a role in calling plays. You're thinking about those things in your head, especially when you play quarterback, because you're all that's just your mindset is, okay, here's what they're doing. What, what do we need to do to, to counter it? And so I'm curious to see how he how he does in between series, getting communication with the rest of the staff, with the players. Okay, what are they doing? What are we seeing? And then how do we need to go attack them? What adjustments do we make? What some of the wrinkles that they have? What are some weaknesses that they have that maybe they're trying to hide? based off of what we saw in film and how do we exploit that. So I just want to see that part of it. I think that chess match is going to be really important when you play the bigger games. I mean, the chess match isn't going to be as important as Duke, South Florida, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, teams like that, because Notre Dame can just out-talent them. He could call average games and Notre Dame's still going to win 
eight of their ten regular season games just because they have better players than their the teams they're going against. But if they want to to go ten and zero or and and beat Clemson, they're going to need to to win that chess match. And when the talent is closer, Florida State's another team, Louisville's another team that there's going to be a little bit of a chess match in some of those games. What position can uh, least afford to lose players? Uh, what is Houston Griffith's ceiling? Do you think he and Kyle Hamilton can be the best safety tandem we've seen under BK? And I put those two together because I think they go hand in hand. I think the position group where Notre Dame can at least afford to lose players right now is safety. I think, number one, even when everybody's healthy, it's a thin position group. And it's not just thin from a number standpoint, and they only have five safeties, although there are some corners like Cam Hart or K.J. Wallace and even Sean Crawford to agree that can play some safety, but it's not an ideal situation. Uh, you know, and then of course, if somebody gets sick, somebody gets COVID, somebody is out because of contact tracing, and and however long Notre Dame is doing that, then you know that's not a, a real strong position as far as what is Houston Griffith's ceiling. Uh, you know, I wrote about this at Irish Breakdown yesterday. I think Houston Griffith is one of the the keys to this defense being elite this year, and not even that he necessarily needs to be elite, but he needs to start playing to his potential. And he is a smart, instinctive, heady natural back-end player that when he can keep everything in front of him, play the alleys, play over the top, whether it's playing deep middle or over the top in sort of a cover two look, when he can play tight ends and backs and and pick up crossers and things like that that are coming across the field, those are when Houston Griffith can really thrive. And if he can become a more sound tackler, which I think is is he's better when he can play off the ball, uh, if he can l- eliminate some of the mental mistakes he would have, which are understandable when you consider how much he was bouncing around from nickel to safety to corner to safety to corner, now finally back to safety, eliminate some of those things, I can think he'd be a really solid player. And I think that solidifies the defense because when Griffith and Hamilton are on the field together, both of them can play, can do everything. Now, to different degrees, but Houston can play in the alleys. He can come down and play the run. He can play over the the top in a, in a in a cover one or cover three look. He can play, uh, you know, cover four. He can play over the top in a cover two look. He can do all those things, as can Kyle Hamilton. If Houston doesn't step up or gets hurt or, or whatever the case may be and he's not part of that conversation, Isaiah Pryor's not that kind of versatile player. Now, that doesn't mean they won't ask him to do those things, but from what I saw from him at Ohio State, and of course also what I saw from him in high school, is he's a more limited downhill player, and he's not someone you necessarily want in coverage all the time. And if he's forced into a starting role, that limits his effectiveness. But if Houston Griffith is starting and they can use Isaiah Pryor as sort of that third safety as part of a rotation, then that will allow Clark Lee to better utilize what he does well, which then makes it a very strong safety group. And then you can have D.J. Brown and Litchfield Ajavon kind of growing into two roles as well. So um, do, you, do I think Kyle Hamilton and Houston Griffith will be the best safety tandem we've seen under BK? Not this year. You know, I mean, I think the – the 2011, uh, 2010 safety group I thought was very good. When you think about Jamore Slaughter and Harrison Smith, I think the 2011 group was also pretty good. Uh, same same guys, a lot of it was same guys. Uh, 2012 was was a solid group until Jamore got hurt. Uh, I thought, but I thought that was a good group. I thought the 2015 safety group was pretty good, and then of course the last two years the safeties were were really excellent, especially in 2018. So. You could argue maybe it's the most talented group in natural ability, uh, but even then, you know, Jamore Slaughter and Harrison Smith were were really talented as well. Those are two NFL players, uh, and Harrison Smith, you know, has been stretches where he's been the best safety in the NFL, or at least in that conversation. So they got a lot to prove. Uh, will that happen in 2020? I don't know. I think this might be a better question for us to ask in 2021 when we've actually seen 
Kyle Hamilton be a starter and not the number three like he was last year. And then, of course, we see what Houston Griffith brings to the table. Next question from Mizzo40. Which players are benefiting the most out of this pandemic? Your uh, next breakout player on offense and defense, and will the running back position be better this year? So which players are benefiting the most out of this pandemic? I I don't know if anyone's necessarily benefiting a ton from the pandemic per se. I do think there were some players that benefited from there not being a spring. And and to me, it's it's the injured guys. When I look at Shane Simon, Jack Lamb, and Aaron Banks. And what I mean by that was they got they weren't going to be in the spring. They got time to rest. They got time to recover. They got time to heal without having other players taking reps in their spots. The thing about how deep Notre Dame is, you take linebacker, for example. If Jack Lamb and, and Shane Simon went the whole spring without playing and guys like Jordan Jenmark Heath and Maris Lufal and Osita Ekwanu and J.D. Bertrand and Bo Bauer and, and Jack Kaiser and those kind of guys, Paul Mawala, were getting all the reps, it would have been a lot harder for Shane Simon and Jack Lamb to really get back into the mix. And, and they'd, have, they'd have some guys they'd have to climb over. Uh, but since there wasn't that spring, then that those players never got that opportunity. So I think that helps those two guys. I think the – I think it also helped Aaron Banks. Same situation. Do you really want Josh Lugg taking all those reps at your spot in the spring, as well as Josh Lugg played last year and with Aaron Banks being so inconsistent? Um, the fact that Josh Lugg didn't get that opportunity in the spring, I think is going to hurt his opportunity to win a starting job this year. And the, some of the clips I've seen uh, for Notre Dame, uh, you know, we've seen Josh Lugg at right tackle a lot, which tells me they're not giving him that opportunity to compete for a starting job, or at least – not fully, and they may say they are, but when you're moving him around, he's not going to beat out Aaron Banks by moving around. So, uh, you know, but but that's but I think that's a, a, something that I think benefited Aaron Banks. My next breakout player on offense, and I'm going to talk about this. There's a couple questions about running back that I've seen. Um, Dos Leprechauns also asked about this. We seem to have heard a lot about Chris Tyree during this camp. How have other running backs looked? Uh, so I'm going to kind of answer a few of those in this one question. And the breakout player for offense for me, uh, from everything I'm hearing, is going to be Kyron Williams. Every single time I talk to somebody, even I've even brought up I've even brought up other position groups to sources and say, hey, you know, how's such and such going? And they'll kind of answer that, and they're like, oh, and by, oh, by the way, I, Kyron Williams is killing it, you know. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I didn't ask about that, but thanks. You know, and it's just it seems like that kid's and, – and the reason I bring it up like that is because when people answer questions, especially source – you know, people that I consider sources, a lot of times you ask a question and they're going to kind of tell you – they're going to give you some positives about what you asked about. And, you know, they're, they're not going to say, oh, this – you know, usually they're, oh, this guy stinks or this guy can't play or, or whatever. They're just – they're going to give you, you know, positive comments because you're asking about a player what I've always found is when when people bring up guys on their own whether a guy's struggling or whether a guy's playing well you tend to kind of take that to heart a little bit more because that's more of an emotional reaction and the emotional reaction is coming from what they're seeing on the practice field every day as opposed to a thoughtful reaction which is okay let me give you this kind of PC answer about this kid that you asked me about so the fact that I keep hearing about Rock Kyron Williams without people, without me really, I've yet to ask a question about Kyron Williams this offseason. Yet to ask one. And it's not because I don't think to, but I never get the opportunity to ask it because he's already been brought up before I can even ask about him. That's a good sign. Uh, and then, of course, I think Chris Tyree is another guy. So I think I think those two guys have an opportunity. I, you know, I think Javon McKinley, if healthy, is a guy that could potentially have a breakout. And I think Tommy Tremble, again, if healthy, is another guy. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's just Tyron Williams and nobody. 
I think there's several players on this offense that have a chance to really break out and have big seasons. Uh, breakout player on defense, I- I'm going with Jason Adamiola. I-, I really feel like this is a young man that I think has gone through some adversity. You know, he had the injury last year, and he's had to, you know, he's had to add weight, and and there's been players in front of him, and there's just been a lot of things going on with him. And and I think the two years, like like a lot of young players, when you go through adversity, when you're really talented and you know it. And you have to kind of, you know, things don't quite go the way you want them to go early in your career. Because every young player thinks he's going to come in and start and play a bunch. That's what I'm referring to when I say not going the way that you want it. You really, you, you can either pout about it or you can use it to kind of dig deep and say, okay, I'm going to use this to make me better. And I think that Jason is, is, has learned this offseason to really take that and turn it into fuel to, to go out there and be great and put in the work to be great. And I think he's going to have plenty of opportunities this year to play and make plays. And, and we have seen him be a playmaker in the past. So I, I'm not going to be surprised if now that he's a junior, now that he's got a third year in the, in the strength program, uh, if he's a guy that's really going to be a breakout player. And, and I don't think his brother's going to break out from the standpoint of he becomes a dominant player on the defense uh, that I think Jason can. And that's usually the traditional way that we use breakout player. But I think Justin Adamiola is going to become a very key piece of this defensive line rotation as well. I think he's a stronger kid. Again, third year in the system. He's now got three years of strength under his weight, under his belt. I think he's going to be very comfortable with that strong side spot to working in there with Adi Ogundiji. So I think both of those kids are going to have an opportunity to really make their, their presence felt in different ways this year. As far as breakout, as far as like being one of the team's best players, I think Jason Adamiola is a guy that, I, that I'm really looking for as, as being that player. And I think they need him to be that kind of player. Marty McGrail 9 asks, who does ND have the best chance at securing for the 2021 class is the first part of his question. I, I think you know, I think there's two receivers right now that if Notre Dame can get one of them or both of them, I think, I think they're in, in it for both of them, and that's a pair of Georgia receivers, Deion Colsey and, and Jaden Thomas. Now, a month ago, I would have told you there's no way in heck Deion Colsey's coming back. I've said this multiple times on our site. There, when kids like this – Dis de- decommit for the reasons that Deion Colsey decommitted, they rarely ever come back. Like when you look at Braden Lindsay, Braden Lindsay's situation was different because it wasn't about staying closer to home. It was about that track opportunity that Oregon convinced him. I've always felt Braden Lindsay wanted to be at Notre Dame, but that track situation kind of opened up an opportunity that he didn't necessarily feel he had at Notre Dame. Well, you know, the coaches kept working and ended up getting him back in the class. And it, it's, you know, I think it's he's a guy that's got a chance to have a breakout season this year. Uh, if he can stay healthy. So this situation was a little different. This is about a guy not wanting to go away from home, a kid that was interested in some other schools and you know, just really felt he committed too early. And usually that kid doesn't go back to the school he'd originally committed to. Last couple weeks, I put something on our message board. Somebody asked about this two weeks ago, and I said a similar thing, which is I- I'm hearing a lot more positivity about him maybe ending up back in the class. Um, you know, obviously Georgia and, and other SEC schools are still recruiting him and same thing with Jaden Thomas. And so I think Notre Dame is in a situation where before it was kind of Jaden Thomas or bust. Now I think they're in it with both of them. Now I personally think Deion Colsey's a, I think Jaden Thomas is a better player today. I think J- J- uh, Deion Colsey has more upside for the future. And so there's two different ways to look at that ideal situation. Notre Dame can get both of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I just I think those are probably the best bets on offense. I think defensively, I know they're still recruiting the safety from Hawaii, whose name I got to really learn how to pronounce better. But uh, 
Titus, I think it's Mokia Adamalala is is my best crack at that now. I'm going to have to learn how to say his name better. But really talented football player, can play offense or defense. I think safety is his best position. I know he can play receiver, but I think he's more of a a Mountain West caliber receiver as opposed to at Notre Dame. He is a Notre Dame caliber safety, no question. And I know Notre Dame fans love Alohi Gilman, and so every Every kid that comes from Hawaii that plays safety is going to be compared to Lohi Gilman. And, you know, this this young man athletically is taller, uh, more explosive, and, and stronger than Lohi was at the same age. Now, does he have the instincts and the leadership? Well, you know, you don't ever know that until a kid shows up on campus. But very talented player that I think could really solidify the back end of that defense. Now, I also know there's a couple kids in their names trying to flip, so I'm not going to give any names because – there's no need to do that until the kids actually flip. Otherwise, you kind of put that out there, and it just it's unfair to the kid. It also hurts Notre Dame because if you put out there that they're trying to flip a kid, and this, this staff, maybe the staff for the where the kid committed doesn't really know he's seriously interested in Notre Dame, then all of a sudden they can you know turn the screws a little tighter and and, and try to cut that. So I, I don't have any interest in, in putting those names out there. I also don't think they're going to right now getting those kids. I think the three that I mentioned are the best bets now. Dante Thorne's an interesting one. I think that Notre Dame is in it. I think at times they were his leader. At times they were second behind Oregon. At times I think they kind of even fell back even further. I think right now they're definitely in his top two or three. I would not predict that they get him. I think a big thing that's going to impact him is how does Notre Dame play this season? I mean, look, it was a situation where, you know, Joe Moorhead was at Oregon. I think Oregon was going to have a great offense this year, even with a first-year quarterback. It was great offensive line, skill players schedule that was very manageable outside of Ohio State. I thought they were going to have a monster year on offense. Well, now they're not going to play, and Notre Dame is. And if, if to, the Tommy Reese offense comes out this season and they're clicking and they're putting up points and they're throwing the ball, now all of a sudden Dante Thornton is back in play as a legitimate opportunity. So I think that's going to be important for Notre Dame is if they can put a, a, a great product on the field this year offensively, I think that's going to up their chances uh, at getting Dante Thornton. And, Dante Thornton's a game changer type of recruit. I mean, he's a top fifty player. He is a potential, you know, top fifteen NFL draft pick if he pans out. You just don't see six five guys that run like that, that have those kind of ball skills that just kind of dominate. And he's still just learning the position. I mean, he's still just scratching the surface. So he's the kind of kid that can completely take a really good receiving core and make it elite and take a top ten to fifteen recruiting class and make it top five. I really think he can be that kind of player. So if Notre Dame can make that kind of climb, it would certainly have a significant impact on this uh, 2021 class. Second part of the question, what targets in 2022 can ND get that helps them get a top five class? Uh, Marty, at this point in time, that's just that's too early to tell because they're, they're on a lot of players, a lot of players. One thing I'll give this staff a lot of credit for is I do not like how they've really finished with the 2021 class. and I think they lost a lot of momentum. I think most of it was their own mistakes, their own just getting to be on the recruiting trail. I think there's a little bit of it that you could maybe point to the COVID-19 situation, but I really don't think that was the primary driving force. Uh, you know, and I just, I just think they got outworked. I think they had a bad plan at some spots, and we've talked about that. 2022, the thing, the staff so far has done a great job at getting out on a lot of top players. D-line, they're on some big-time players, whether it's you know, Shamar Stewart, whether it's, it's uh, you know, Kenyatta Jackson, there's some big-time players. Caleb Artis, there's some really big-time players that they're going after. Obviously, Nolan Ziegler at linebacker was a great start. Sebastian Cheeks is a top-hundred player that I think Notre Dame is a really good shot with from Illinois that 
you know, obviously would be a big part of a, 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 an excellent linebacking class. So, you know, if you're able to get a guy like him, that's a, a continued needle mover. There's some other linebackers on the board that, that Notre Dame is looking at that I think, uh, you know, have a chance to have a really special linebacking class that reminds me a lot of the 2018 class where you had Jack Lamb was a top 100 player, Shane Simon was a top 100 player, Bill Bauer was a top 200 player. Uh, you know, in the secondary, they're on some some really good players early on. Receiver, uh, you know, is an area where they're struggling a little bit, but there's still some good names on the board. Running back, they're after some big time running backs in 2022. They've already got, in my opinion, a top 250 caliber tight end. Offensive line, they got a top 200 player in Joey Tonona already. Um, guy like Billy Shrouth from from Wisconsin, top 150 caliber player. Uh, there's some other guys like Zach Rice, Jacob Allen, some big-time players that I think Notre Dame needs to push for and, and, and land on the offensive line to have the kind of elite offensive line class that they're capable of. So the the numbers are there at most positions. Quarterback, I'm a little concerned about quarterback. Uh, I'm a little concerned about receiver just as far as, you know, who can I point to to say they're going to have. But at a lot of – it's still early. And they're going to keep adding to that that those lists and some guys that are you know maybe they have a better shot at C.J. Williams and I think they have that's the kind of receiver that could be a game changer, you know right now and I'm going to talk about the quarterback position in a little bit but you know if they're able to get a Gavin Wimsett kind of player from Kentucky that's a that's a needle mover that's a t- that's kind of quarterback you need to have a top five class in my opinion so. The, the board is already building in a way that if they can really close well and, and finish, they, they could absolutely have a top-five class. But with only three kids in the class, I mean, to have a top-five class, there's, there's 10, 12 guys at least that they would need to land to, to be in that kind of conversation. Because the guys they have so far, Jack Nickel, Joey Tonona, and, and Nolan Ziggler are very strong early starts, but they can't be your you – know, some of your five best players if you want to have a 10 best class, top 10 class. They need to be like in that 8 to 12 range. That's how you have a top five class, in my opinion. Dos Leprechauns, we already kind of talked about his uh, running back situation, but, you know, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree are a really strong group. But also he asked about, you know, how other running backs looked. Haven't heard a lot about Sebo Flemister. Not good or bad, just haven't heard his name mentioned. That doesn't mean he's not having a strong camp. Just means that that it hasn't come up in the conversations I've had. Uh, Jafar Armstrong, I've been told, is is kind of doing what Jafar does, and that is having a hard time staying on the field, uh, balancing some different things. So, uh, you know, he, he's been out a little bit during camp. And then uh, I have had heard some good things about Jameer Smith, too. Now, I haven't seen any clips of him, and it, not everybody brings him up, but a couple people bring him up and said, hey, he's having a pretty good camp. So, you know, if you have a, a Jameer Smith, Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree type of backfield, you know, that'd be okay. If Sebo Flemister can continue to work, that, that that's going to be okay. So I, I think that there's uh, some some strength there. What's the word on fans in the stands? Will it be students only, players, families, both? Um, the latest I've heard is it's going to be both plus some, um, try to say this in a nice way, um, some ticket hold, season ticket holders. Uh, so I'm, I'm told it's going to be, you know, players, families for Notre Dame, students for Notre Dame. Also, a, a small number of, of tickets for opponent fans, which is going to be family, um, is what I was told. And then some you know, season ticket holders, which to me would li- most likely mean with very limited tickets, it's going to be if you're willing to pay a lot of money for it, then they'll get you some tickets. I don't think a lot of... You know, families of four, you know, low, you know, middle class, low middle class families of four are going to be going to any Notre Dame games this year. I don't, I don't think they're going to allow tailgating. 
this year. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I won't be surprised if there's no pep rallies this year. Obviously I think those are, those are no brainers. Uh, you know, so I think things, a lot of those traditions are going to be gone for a year. You know, I would expect them to come back, but I just say, prepare yourself, make sure you got all the TV networks or packages or streaming services. You need to watch the games online is what, is what my, my advice would be unless unless you're you're able to pay a, a, a big chunk of change, which I know I couldn't. Uh, so, you know, if you can, g- good for you. Uh, Griffin Wilder, Weedler said, uh, what are your thoughts on the series of South, South Florida? Even a, in a weird season, I don't see what a win over South Florida does for Notre Dame other than simply giving them another opportunity to play as a team. Uh, also, for the few future games, future games that haven't announced yet, it seems like it will clog Notre Dame's schedule in the coming year's thoughts. I actually like this series. Um Two reasons why. Number one, or three reasons why. Number one in 2020, I think is exactly what you just said. It's another chance for them to just play. I don't think every game has to be against a great team. And the reality is, they can't schedule a Big 12 team. Uh, they're not. They, they can't schedule an SEC team. You have to play an American Athletic Conference team that fits into your schedule of when you can play, and it has to be at home. Well, not all of them are necessarily willing to travel. That's what I think the holdup was with Navy is. Navy was supposed to get a home game from Notre Dame. So what are they going to give that up and then play back-to-back years at Notre Dame? I don't know if that would have made a lot of sense for Navy. Uh, you know, do, do you want to really play Memphis? To me, the thing about a team like Memphis is I don't know what beating Memphis does for you. Same with, you know, Houston if they're a top 25 team, which I don't think they would be. You know, but you know, Central Florida, I mean, if you beat them, you're supposed to beat them. But those teams are capable of beating you. And so it's not like beating Memphis or Central Florida is all of a sudden going to be like, wow, what a resume builder for Notre Dame. But you lose to them and you get crushed. I think a team like South Florida, uh, you look at them and you say, you know, they're 4-8. and eight. They're coming off of a down year. Um, you know, they've got a first-year head coach. The talent isn't what it used to be. Charlie Strong did not do a good job of recruiting at South Florida. So this is a win. This is another opportunity to, to build your team up early in the year. And I think that's the important thing. So, you know, you play Duke, you play South Florida, you play Wake Forest, and then you got a bye week before your schedule starts ramping up with Florida State, Louisville, Pitt, and then, of course, eventually Clemson. So I think it's a really good team-building type of game. And that's how I look at it. Uh, is it the kind of game that is going to move the needle for you? No. But it is the kind of game that if you handle it right and you, and you handle your business, it can help you be better prepared to win the games that will be needle-moving games, like a Florida State, like a Louisville, and, of course, like a Clemson. So I get where you're coming from, and just on the surface, no, it doesn't do a lot for Notre Dame. F- f- just specifically having the USF win on your schedule isn't going to enhance your resume, but it does give you a chance to be better as a team. I think that's the important thing for me. As far as the future goes, the other parts of why I think this schedule makes sense is, you know, look, there's a lot of talent in Tampa and and the Orlando and Northern Florida area, much more so than I think maybe there used to be back in the day where really South Florida was really where the dominance was. And South Florida is still great talent. But I think the thing about Tampa and, and, and Central Florida is there's a few more fits for Notre Dame in those areas. And I, so I think having a game where you get down there, where you play South Florida at South Florida, it, you're getting in front of, you know, players. You're getting your, you know, South Florida is going to take advantage of that and get as many kids on campus that weekend as possible. That's the most packed that stadium is ever going to be for a South Florida game. That that's going to be the weekend they get all their recruits, and of course they're going to get beat. But they're not they're not competing against Notre Dame for recruits. 
they're going to have their kids on camp say, hey, look, you come here. You got a chance to play against Notre Dame. Look how packed that stadium was. Look how crazy the environment was. I think it's a win for South Florida, but it's also a win for Notre Dame because a lot of kids are going to be on campus, and South Florida is going to be more than willing to let the kids Notre Dame likes be at that game because they know they're not going to get that guy, but they may get his teammate who he comes with who maybe isn't as good as the the top 100 player that Notre Dame wants, but his three-star linebacker buddy who's a pretty good football player is going to have a chance to be there too. So I think it makes a lot of sense in that regards for Notre Dame. And, 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 and number three is if South Florida's no good, you get an easy win. If they're better, and I think Jeff Scott's a good young coach, I think him and Jet Tony Elliott are, were very underrated parts of why Clemson was so good the last four years. He gets his chance to be a head coach. And, you know, I think he's a guy that will have a chance to recruit well and build them up. We'll see, you know, how good of a head coach he can be is because we don't all, you know, coordinators don't always necessarily become great coaches, head coaches. But, you know, and if they're better, then, you know, you get a good quality non-conference win. You know, if 10-2, and 11-2 South Florida from past years, it's not a needle-moving win, but it's a good win. It's a quality win. If they're one of the two or three best teams in the AAC, it's not going to be the same as beating Texas A&M or a team like that, but it's a good win. Uh, so there's, it, it's really, to me, as long as you don't lose to them, there, there's not, there's nothing bad that can come out of it, you know, because again, these games aren't always just about what does it do for your 2020 resume? It's about how can we use this game to build up our team so we can win those resume building games, but also how can we get our team on the road in front of a group of kids and players and parents and coaches that we want to make a bigger part of our recruiting base. And I think those are the reasons why it makes a lot of sense to play a team like South Florida. Plus, South Florida's home games are in an NFL stadium. So it just it's easy. You don't have to worry about playing in some little tiny stadium. You're going to play in an NFL stadium anyway, and you can call it a road game because that's where they play their games. It's, it's a lot like playing uh, Pitt when you play them at Pitt. I'm going to try to fly through some of these questions because we're already getting kind of long. Thomas N.A., number, question number one. Uh, Thomas N.A. 33, do you see Clark Lee staying at Indy past this season? So this is an interesting question uh, because five months ago I'd have said no. I- I've changed my stance on that a little bit because – and it's it, it's because I have a feeling – so the teams that aren't playing, Big Ten, Pac-12, assuming they continue down their, their path of not playing, whatever the case may be, the odds are their seasons are going to be going on while other jobs are coming open. So, you know – do you really leave in May for a head coaching job at a Big Ten school? I don't think Clark Lee's the kind of person that would do that. I don't think he would he would leave the Notre Dame team in April or May, having gone through spring ball to become a head coach. He would have viewed it as he's already made that commitment to the Notre Dame players, and he just does not strike me as the kind of person that would do that. So that's going to limit the number of schools available to him if they don't play anytime soon. So then you start looking at the AAC teams and the SEC teams and, and teams like that. Well, there I don't see a lot of movement this offseason from a coaching standpoint. Maybe if like, you know, Derek Mason goes like 0 and 10 or whatever the case may be, maybe they fire him. But but even then, these schools are losing money. And are they gonna really want to pay the buyouts? Uh, you know, teams are cutting sports. They're gonna want to pay the buyouts to get rid of their coach, uh, to hire and then have to pay the buyout to get Clark Lee out of his contract with Notre Dame which isn't huge. It's not like you saying for being a head coach, but still it's going to cost you money. So, uh, and I only mentioned Vanderbilt because that's the team that everybody always asks about with him. So I'm actually thinking there's a better chance he's going to stay at Notre Dame for at least one more season than I thought five months ago because of the, the whole pandemic thing. Cause I just think a lot of teams are going to be too strapped for cash. And how do you justify firing a coach? Unless he just, it's a disaster, like an O and 10, you get blown out every week disaster. 
you know, it's kind of hard to fire a coach after everything programs have been through this offseason. Uh, so I think you're going to see a, a little less movement than normal unless, you know, coaches are re- quit or retire, whatever the case may be. Question number two from Thomas N.A., uh, does Indy have enough speed at the skill positions on offense to be a big play offense without Austin this season? Yeah, they do, but it, it's questionable as far as who's going to be there because obviously Chris Tyree brings that home run ability. Braden Lindsey brings that home run ability. I mean, when they got him into the offense, because everybody talks about how Ian Book played better down the stretch and all that, and you know, my counter's been, well, you know, they didn't really play anybody, but there was a couple decent defenses. But the other thing we forget about that stretch is that's when Braden Lindsey started becoming a bigger factor in the offense. And, you know, made that big long touchdown against Navy, had a long touchdown run against Boston College. And then that started teams had to kind of worry about him. And so then we started seeing Cole Komet get some open spots over the middle of the field. And so I think he brings that to the table. You you have an offensive Chris Tyree and Braden Lindsay on the field at the same time. There aren't many teams not named Alabama that that you're gonna have to worry about being faster than you. Then you throw in Lawrence Keys. I would say the number of tight ends in the country this year that have more speed than Tommy Trumbull is very small. I think you could probably count it on one hand. I mean, so that's another impact speed guy at that position. So, uh, and, and Javon McKinley is is a is is a big play guy in the same way, sort of that Miles Boykin was. You know, he may not run past you a lot, but he's going to get those 25, 30 catches, 25, 30 yard catches if healthy and focused. Uh, you know, on the back shoulders, which again forces you as a defense to have to worry about that. So, weapons to me. Or shouldn't be a weapon or an issue, and we haven't even talked about Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts. So you know, it, where it could be a problem is if Notre Dame decides to go big and they play Javon McKinley and uh, Ben Ben Skoranek together all the time. Uh, that to me would be a mistake. Then I would see them being limited uh, from a big play standpoint. You know, if if they go two tight ends and they've got McKinley and and Skoranek on the field together. Now, now you've limited your your speed and your big playability, even with Chris Tyree on the field. Yes, you can rip off some big runs and some plays against the inferior teams, but that's not how you're going to beat Clemson, in my opinion. Unless your offensive line is just dominating everybody, which is certainly possible this year. So, yeah, I, I think it's there. And then, of course, Austin's going to come back. I mean, right now, at the end of his eight to twelve weeks is the middle of the season. So he's slate barring any setbacks. He's slated to be back for the Clemson game, and and will probably have a couple games under his belt by then. So I think once you add him to that conversation, it, it only enhances things. Chamgel asks number one, what kind of things we be looking for in the first half of the season to see if Kelly Reese Quinn made the necessary changes this offseason to allow the offense to produce against Clemson in November. Talked a little bit about that earlier. I really want to see them being physical at the line of scrimmage. And I'm not. And look, I don't care if they run for 250 yards a game against Duke and and Wake Forest and South Florida and teams like that. Don't care because you can. They showed last year they can rack up big yards against certain teams. I want to see are they coming off the ball? Are they stepping with power? Are they exploding through contact? And are they pushing people around? That's the key because we've seen Notre Dame even the last two years rack up big yardage numbers against certain opponents, but then they struggle against the better teams because against those inferior opponents, they were just kind of better than they were. They weren't, they even then, they still weren't really coming off and driving people off the ball. Even the Louisville game last year, they ran for 250 yards. They weren't driving Louisville off the ball. You could see things in that game that said, okay, that, that could be problematic against Georgia and some other teams. So I want to see them really blowing people off the ball. And they play some very good D lines this year, so they're going to need to do that. I want to see creativity. I want to see Tommy Reese being able to see something in the defense and come back and exploit it quickly before the defense can figure out that that you know that that they're making that mistake. And and of course with Tommy Reese, I want to see can he get 
Ian Book to be locked in mentally enough to, to play to his full potential. And if he can, then I think this team has a chance to be very, very special on offense this year. Number two, with the way the schedule's laid out and the depth of talent Indy is returning, uh, Jade, uh, would you agree that anything less than making the ACC title game is a disappointment? Absolutely. If Notre Dame's not playing for the ACC title, that's a disappointing season. And I would say this, if Notre Dame goes 9-2 uh, and two in the regular season and beats everybody but Clemson and they lose to Clemson twice, also a disappointing season. At some point in time, you have to start competing for those games. Now, if they beat Clemson at home in a good game and they lose to Clemson in the ACC title game in a competitive game and they go 10 and 1 or you know, 10 and 1, props to you. You know, that's a good season. You you finally got that big time win. And I think that might even be good enough to maybe get them a playoff berth the way things are going and just, you know, so much of that is just going to depend on what the other leagues do. Number three, uh, we've talked about the need for Notre Dame's offense to be more quarterback-friendly in a strange way. Could spring camp being cut short and the need to for multiple guys on the depth chart ready to go at each position due to COVID benefit Notre Dame in the sense that it forces them to simplify things for Ian Book and the offense stay on the same page? Yes, I think you nailed it. I think we chatted about this a little bit a while back, a month or so ago. Maybe it might have been on a radio station, and I didn't talk about it on the board. But I think the notion that they lost all that time – is going to limit how how much they put on this team's plate. You, you don't have as much of that spring to work on all these extra concepts and things like that. So, I think it it might force them to be more simplified. It need, at least it should anyway, you know. And and if you're going to have to play some younger players like Michael Mayer, Chris Tyree, Kyron Williams, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, which you should, you know, do you really want to throw a million different things at them? And are, are is that a valid excuse anymore for not having those guys on the field? No, it's not. So. I think this is another thing that we're going to learn about Tommy Reese and, and this year is, is, is he going to be more of a scheme, 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 scheme guy that wants to show everyone how smart he is and Brian Kelly didn't make a mistake by having me out there. I'm super smart. Look at all these cool plays I drew up. Or is he going to show the savviness of a veteran coach, which is not, let me show you how smart I am, but I got really good players. How can I put them in position to dominate? And if this kid can only run three routes, then let's make sure we get him on the field so he can run those three routes. If this kid can only run two run concepts, and let's, and he, but he runs a 4-2, then let's get him on the field on those two run concepts. Um, I think that's how I'll be more impressed from Tommy Reese as opposed to, wow, they ran 28 different, you know, the, the boundary receiver ran 28 unique route combinations, which is something about like what Will Fuller had in 2015. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know, I don't, I don't want to see that. And so that, to me, is something that I think if they do that, again, that's another way where this offense could – and that's not a knock. I think Tommy Reese is smart enough to come up with a million different plays. But an experienced coach knows when that's not what his team needs. And, and a savvy coach knows that. And that's where I want to see if Tommy Reese and the staff that they have together has the savviness to say, hey, guys, we don't have to run a million plays. We have really good players. Let's make sure that whatever we're running, they can run it at a very high level technically and from an execution standpoint. And if we do that, we can play with and beat anybody. That's what I want to see. Coach Koch14 asks, uh, receivers are something that has me a bit apprehensive. Last year, Claypool obviously stepped up his game. Who will fill that role? Could Ben and Skoranek be that guy? How confident are you in the receiver play? I'm confident in the receiver play. I'm extremely confident in the receiver play if they're healthy. That's my apprehension. Look, I've been very critical of Brian Kelly about a lot of things, quarterback, O-line recently. But the one thing that Brian Kelly's staff has done, whether it was Tony Alford coaching receivers or it was Mike Denbrock coaching receivers or now Dell Alexander, every time we talk about this guy is, uh, you know, this guy is uh, leaving, how are they going to replace him? How are they going to replace Michael Floyd? Well, the next year they went 12-0. 
How are they going to place, you know, replace Tyler Eifert? Okay, Troy Nicholas steps up. How are they going to replace T.J. Jones uh, and DeVaris Daniels? Okay, Will Fuller steps up. Corey Robinson steps up. How are they going to replace Will Fuller? Okay, well, you know, Miles Equinemius St. Brown steps up. He leaves early. How are they going to replace him? Miles Boykin steps up. How are they going to replace him? Chase Claypool steps up, right? They have been able to – because they've recruited that position well. And and the, the team they have now is loaded. So as long as they can have a, a relatively good success – there's no excuse for the receivers not to be very good. I don't think Ben Skoranek is that guy. I think Ben Skoranek, if they force him into a starting every down role, is going to have some struggles. He is at his best when you can A, play him as part of rotation, and B, move him around, where he can be sort of a jack-of-all-trades as opposed to you're starting this position. You know, play him 25, 35 snaps a game, but sometimes he's in the boundary, sometimes he's in the slot, sometimes he's outside, so you can't really game plan for his weak because his weaknesses are very easy to see on film. And if you put him in one spot all the time, which is what Notre Dame has tended to do with their receivers, it's going to be easy to take him out of the game because he does have some physical limitations. If you move him around and the team's not really sure where he's going to be, it makes it harder for him to, for you to match up that way. And now he can now use his savviness and the, and the strengths he does have to work open and be a good chain mover. So I don't think he's that guy. I think Javon McKinley needs to step up for a big year. I think Braden Lindsay has a chance for a big year. They need to get Lawrence Keyes on the field. Now, he may not have 60 catches for 1,000 yards, but – he could be a money player for Notre Dame, whether it's 20 catches or 35 catches or 45 catches, but he's a guy that needs to play. And I think this year we might see more of a by-committee approach where one week it's Javon McKinley taking over, the next week it's Braden Lindsey, the next week it's Lawrence Keyes, the next week Ben Skoranek has you know, six catches for 63 yards, but five of them went for first downs on third down and one was a touchdown late in the game. Where I could see him being that kind of guy. And, of course, Tommy Trumbull is a big part of that as well. Tommy Trumbull, Brock Wright, and potentially Michael Mayer. So I think pass weapons will be not should not be a problem this year, barring a long hit, list of guys that have struggled to stay healthy continuing that trend. That is more my concern. Uh, offensive line, running back, and tight end are looking solid. What will be the Irish's strongest attribute on offense this year? It needs to be the offensive line. If Notre Dame is going to win the ACC title, compete for the ACC title, get to the playoff, compete for the, a, a championship, it's gonna, the offensive line has to be their best unit. They have to be elite. I mean, that's an easy one. Great questions, though, by the way. USAF 40ND, number one, can you explain the scholarship rule for this season? I know the seniors can come back, but I've also heard uh, talk the four-game redshirt rule extends the entire season, so players like Tyree Johnson-Mayer could play the full season as a retro year. Look, the way this season is working, whether you play every single snap of every single game or you don't play at all, it doesn't count for you from an eligibility standpoint. So if Ian Book plays – every game this year and decides I want to come back as a six-year senior, he could come back. I mean, everyone's eligible. Um, that's my understanding. And the other part of that understanding is any seniors that come back won't ca- count towards the the cap next year. That's, that's the extent of what I know of this. I've tried to reach out to some people, haven't heard back yet, but my understanding is that's the case. So you'll see teams most likely be pat- way past 85 next year if a lot of these guys come back. Now, some schools may not want guys back. Hey, look, it's time to go because we've got this young guy coming up that we think could be it. But now those guys get an extra year too. So, you know, if a guy's a redshirt freshman this year, you can basically treat him like a redshirt freshman next year. So like Andrew Kostofik, guy, that's who this really helps, guys like Andrew Kostofik. Um, you know, some of those players that maybe you had to, you know, Shane Simon, Jack, you know, is a, is a guy that this helps. Jack Lamb, guys who, you know, Shane Simon played as a freshman, didn't play a bunch, but played as a freshman. Tariq Bracey lost a year 
where I thought he would redshirt because they needed him and he had to play because of injuries and then he, he played well, he gets an extra year. He could really use that to develop his body. Kyle Hamilton doesn't need an extra year, so it doesn't matter. He's not going to play for a fifth year anyway, uh, so it doesn't help guys like him. Houston Griffith is a guy that this really helps because he played his first two years. Well, now in 2021, he was going into his last year. Well, now he's going to have two more years after this if he wants to stay and if they want him. So that's going to help. And you know who else this is really going to help? Guys that want to do grad transfers. So take Micah Jones, for example. He's actually, you know, from some people I've talked to, he's actually battling for playing time right now, especially with Kevin Austin out. But let's say he, you know, plays some this year but doesn't really, you know, become an impact guy. And he graduates because he was an early enrollee. He graduates in the spring and then transfers. So my understanding was previously is he would transfer and then basically have, you know, as a grad transfer, have two years to play. So he played at Notre Dame for three years, redshirted one. Well, now – if Micah transfers somewhere, he actually could potentially have three years of eligibility left if I'm if I'm doing this math in my head. So guys like that, it could really help uh, and really have a big benefit to them uh, to have that if they were to go somewhere else. And so that's also where this could work out for a lot of kids. Even if they don't stay at the school they're at, it gives them an extra year should they decide to transfer somewhere else. And so I think – I think it's going to create a lot of movement, but it can end up being something that's a positive for for some of those older players that maybe got passed up and and you know went had to go somewhere else instead of just having that one year in a, at a Mac school. Now you can get two, something like that. Um, number two, what indie players would you place on on the uh, all opponents team with the current selections? That's a great question. Uh, for me. I would have probably had Tommy Trumbull, and I know, again, this is projection, but as you saw from my article, I definitely did some projection in there. I'd probably have Tommy Trumbull in there. Uh, Notre Dame plays some nice tight ends, but I don't think they play necessarily any great tight ends. Uh, And I think Tommy Trumbull, if he's healthy, again, I'm going to keep saying that, if he's healthy, has a chance to have a, a really big year. I think he's a guy on there. The offensive line would have almost been completely dominated by Notre Dame players. I, I mean, you know, I've got some – Jimmy Morrissey would have stayed on the first team. Um, maybe Ben Petrula, but Liam Eikenberg would have been on there over Jackson Carmen. I would have had Robert Hainsey over Tyler Vrabel. I'd probably put Tommy Kramer in there over Jordan Tucker. And and honestly, as good as Jimmy Morrissey is, I'd, ha- I'd put him on there simply because he's got so much more experience and he was, you know, an all-conference guy, first-team all-conference guy last year. But would it shock me if Jarrett Patterson's the best center in the ACC by the end of the year? No, it wouldn't. I'd probably put Jimmy Morrissey on the, the preseason all-conference all team, but not the end of the year all-conference team. Um, up front, you know, nobody from the defensive line. Jeremiah Wusu definitely would have been on there at linebacker over Amari Gaynor, no question about it. Um, you know, at safety, I'd have had to think long and hard about Kyle Hamilton over uh, Hamson Nasiruldin from Florida State. And I think, obviously, his production's better, but I think Kyle Hamilton's a better player. So uh, that's definitely a guy that I would have would have, would have pro- would have had on there. Um, I probably would have had Drew White on the second team linebacker, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, and, and so those are some guys that I would have had on there uh, in, in that conversation. I would not have had Ian Book on there. I tried to explain to somebody the other day, they're like, how's Ian Book not at least second team all ACC? Because well, the ACC's got two really special quarterbacks. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in the country. He's clearly first team. And Sam Howell is really good. Uh, and he would have been on the second team. But if I had a third team, I would have had Ian Book on the third team. I didn't have one in that article, but Ian Book would be my third team. I love Mikhail Cunningham, but I think Ian Book right now at least has, has been a better player so far. 
Uh, where do you where do you rank Notre Dame's offense, defense, special teams in the ACC? It's a good question. I'm going to hold off on that one because uh, I actually have some articles where I'm going to come up here soon where I'm going to rank the best offenses and the best defenses, and I'm going to include Notre Dame in those. Uh, so you'll see where I stack up. And part of the reason I'm holding off is not just for the suspense, but I haven't finished putting that list together and crunching all the numbers and you know seeing who's back and all that kind of thing. So uh, you know I looked at it by position, but not necessarily units and how they rank together. But they're going to be they're going to be near the top on offense, and I don't see a defense being ahead of them right now. I'm going to continue to break the numbers down, but I'll be shocked if, I, if at the end of my analysis if there's a defense in the ACC that I expect to be better than Notre Dame's this year, and that includes, that includes Clemson's. Four, if there's no high school football in some states, do you think some of the kids who can't play will then commit to a college sooner and try to early enroll late? Yeah, I think a ton of kids are going to enroll, enroll early that can't play. And it's going to be very interesting if – they passed this rule saying that that early enrollees can play. If like the Big Ten plays in a winter, the Pac-12 plays in a winter, and they allow these kids to be eligible immediately, and and it counts, you know, so they can play that 2021 winter and then play again in the fall. That's going to really make things interesting, and and I'm curious to see if that impacts the decisions that some kids might do because then they could kind of get a jump on their they could start their clock early. So by the time the 2022 season kicks off, kids that would nor- have otherwise been second-year players are now third-year players, and they'd be eligible for the NFL draft. So that's going to be a really interesting thing to see what the NCAA does with that. Uh, next question from MD Lambert. Actually, he has six of them. One, do you feel the season will be played in its entirety? I do. I think we're at that point now where cooler heads are prevailing. I think we might have to see maybe a game get suspended, you know, pushed back because of an outbreak or something, but I think – I think all the games will get played. Number two, do you feel Ian Book has more talent at receiver and running back this year than he had last year? I would say he has more depth of talent. You know, you lost Chase Claypool, you lost Tony Jones, and you lost um, uh, Chris Fink, but you've added Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Jay Brunel, Chris Tyree, uh, Kyron Williams is a year older. There's not going to be any Chase Claypool at receiver. There's not going to be anybody as good as him. I think the running back position could be better. Running back was a weakness last year after Tony Jones. Nobody was healthy. Nobody could, Even he couldn't stay healthy. I think running back could definitely be better this year. I think receiver should have more depth of talent. So I think that the third, fourth, fifth, sixth guys this year will be more productive than last year. But I don't see anybody as an individual player being as good as Chase Claypool. And I, I think we would all agree on that. Number three, how well does our line hold up this year? Uh, it, I'm always suspicious of any O-line under Jeff Quinn. I, I have been in the past too, but but I just – I don't know where it's coming – well, I know where some of it's coming from. Some of the things I've been told, I, I'm really optimistic that this group's going to play well. I think Chris Watt, the hire of Chris Watt is going to be impactful. I, I have a lot more confidence about how this offensive line is going to play than I than I did the last two years with Jeff Quinn. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that he makes, he makes me have to – stop talking about him as an issue by this season. That would be a lot of fun. I would, I would thoroughly enjoy talking about that uh, and being wrong about that. And I, cause if it, if I am, it means Notre Dame's going to be really good this year. Number four, what freshman would be the biggest difference maker? That's an easy one. That's Chris Tyree. I'll be shocked if anybody is more, I mean, and not just as a running back, but if he's not back there returning kicks against Duke, I'm going to be ticked. I don't. I'm sorry. You 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 need a guy like that back there because he's a home run chance every every time he he is at, and he did it in high school and I think he projects for it well. Number five, 
Do you think that Kyle Hamilton will be the captain? The defense will be the captain. The defensive group will need. I don't. I don't hope that they don't put that kind of pressure on Kyle Hamilton. To be honest with you, I think they just need to let Kyle worry about his position and the communication he needs to meet. I don't think he needs to be a captain. I don't think he needs to have that kind of leadership role. The role he needs to have is that of a playmaker. Now, when we go into the 2021 season, then maybe we can talk about him being a junior captain. But right now, it's just hey, do your job, worry about you. Make sure you're executing, and you know part of worrying about you is you know making your proper fits off the guys in front of you. But that's still your job. Do what you got to do. Just worry about you. I mean, make whatever calls you need to make because we'll have you prepared for it. But you don't need to worry about all these other guys. You just go be you. Don't be Alohi. Don't be Jalen. Just go be Kyle Hamilton this year. And then in 2021, you might see that leadership and that that part of it step into it if if that's a part of who he is. Number six, if Ian Book were to get injured, is there any indicator that Brandon Clark will be the guy who's ready to take snaps under center? Talked about this a little bit early. I earlier, I, I we don't really know. And it, you know, is he going to be the guy? Do they think Drew Pine maybe is more advanced mentally or mechanically than him? I I, I don't think it's going to be super easy to make that decision. That's why I like to see both of them play early. You know, see which guys kind of handle that being on the field more effectively. I would give Brendan Clark the first chance because number one, I. I think physically he's the most talented quarterback on the roster. He's not in in a position to be challenging Ian Book right now. I'm not saying that because just being the physically best player doesn't make you the best player. I think Ian Book is clearly the best player, but physically he's stronger, you know, faster, bigger arm, better arm, all those kind of things than Ian Book. And so uh, I would want to get him ready. So if Ian Book goes down or gets sick or whatever the case may be, you've got him ready to ready to go. But it's really hard for me to say, you know, if he's going to be that guy because we just really haven't seen him in those situations. <laughs> Pass me the green has two questions. Uh, number one, uh, I see Tunwise at a at a Lele, Lei, I think is how you say it. I'm not sure. He was a former Ohio State commit from Texas who went to IMG. Now I think he's going back to Texas. Is talking with Notre Dame and a few others. You have any insights on this? I mean, look, Notre Dame would be would be foolish not to reach out to that kid. He's a stud, uh, but and he's a guy that could play right away. But I just don't see that being the case. I just don't see him picking Notre Dame. He's made it very clear with partly why he decommitted from Ohio State. He wants to go somewhere that really supports football. I mean, if Ohio State doesn't support football, I mean, I know where he's coming from because they canceled the season and all that, but I don't see a guy making that statement going to Notre Dame. I just – I don't. Two, where is the biggest weakness on Notre Dame's roster, and are there any realistic targets in the 2021 class that can help turn a weakness into a strength? Okay, so I'm going to answer this two ways. Weakness-wise, safety's one. And the reason I say that is because safety's a weakness from a depth standpoint. Notre Dame needs safeties that can come in and play within their first two years. They need two at least. So I, I think that landing Titus at safety would, would really shore up that position group. I think a, a guy we didn't talk about earlier when I talk about helping the, the position group is Isaiah Pryor's another guy that now gets an extra year. So that helps solidify that position group. So now – Houston Griffith has two extra years. Isaiah Pryor has extra years. And now if you can land Justin Walters and Titus in the same class, you've now really solidified that along with, you know, Litchfield Ajavon getting some extra time. Because I believe Litchfield was a bit young for his grade when he enrolled. I, I believe I remember having that. He doesn't look it. He looks older. But I believe he was a little younger, so now he gets an extra year. So I think those things help the safety position. But they need more players and more talented players. And so I think that's one – where they can do it in receiver. And and the second part is I don't view receiver as a weakness. 
because I think there's very good players there, but I do think that is a position where Notre Dame needs to add more size to the receiver depth chart because the last couple years has been mostly smaller, faster guys. Uh, you know, the Braden Lindsays, the Lawrence Keyses, the, you know, the Kendall Abdul-Rahmans, the Jordan. I mean, Jordan Johnson's the biggest receiver they've landed the last two years, him or Jay Brunell, and they're six one and a half ish You know, so Deion Colsey can bring some size. And, of course, Dante Thornton's a guy that, you know, he's not a guy to me that it's not a weakness you turn into. I mean, you got Lorenzo Styles, and if you're able to get one of Thomas and or Colsey, that's a pretty good one-two punch. You add Dante Thornton into that. It's not turning a weakness into a strength. It's turning a strength into an elite group. I think that's where you could see an impact in the 2021 class. Uh, Akalus says, number one, what players do you think will benefit most from the extra year? Talked a little bit about that. I think there's some other guys. I'm working on an article about that where I'm going to really dive into um, some guys that are really benefit from this. I think I think there's also some position groups that could be hurt by this if certain guys decide to come back. Uh, two, with the NGA, NCAA waiving eligibility, waiving eligibility, what is the 21 and 22 rosters going to look like? That's way too early for me to know that because I just I don't. It's just all so new. I don't know how teams are going to handle this. I don't know if Notre Dame's going to say, "Hey, we want all these guys back," or is Notre Dame going to say, "Hey, this is too many players to handle," you know, uh, and and we don't have the staff and the resources to handle this many guys uh, because, you know, analysts aren't allowed to necessarily coach in the field. So we can't have over a hundred scholarship players next year. We're going to have to tell some guys, Hey, look, you know, you can come back for next year, but, but you're not going to play. So I don't really know how that's going to impact it. And, and then the other thing is like, how does that impact walk on? So like if Liam Eikenberg is on scholarship, but he doesn't count towards your scholarship number, does that mean that you can now give, you know, a scholarship to a walk-on who maybe otherwise couldn't have got it. I mean, it's little things like that, but it's just so hard to know what the roster is going to look like because I don't know what Notre Dame's mindset's going to be as far as how they're going to handle all that. What are your thoughts on Stephen Angeli? Angeli is a 2022 quarterback from Bergen Catholic in New Jersey. I think he's a solid prospect. I think he's got some tools. I think he's got a big, bigger body. I think he's going to grow into it. I think he's a solid prospect. There's some good schools looking at him, but to me, he's not a guy that you take right now. Um, you know, he can. You watch his film, he can throw the deep out, he can throw the deep ball, but when I watch him make those throws, he's a high-effort guy to make those throws. He's got to really wind up and drive off that back foot and put a lot of effort into it. And as I've said a bunch of times, high-effort guys throwing the deep ball aren't effective deep ball throwers in games. High-effort throwers on the 15-yard outs and the 20-yard comebacks are not effective game day guys when they have to be high effort same thing with throwing that 20 to 25 yard in cut if you can bang a 20 yard in cut but you got to really drive and really plant and really kind of torque yourself to do it you're not going to be effective on those throws against the better teams because very rarely are you able to make that kind of throw you have to have some just natural arm talent to be able to power the ball down the field when you don't have that real clean pocket pocket to really torque yourself into the throw so I don't see that kind of arm strength from him yet I don't see the ball jumping out of his hand yet now could that change yeah he's still just we haven't seen him pass the sophomore year so recruit him keep him on the board but don't push for him to jump this early unless you're going to take two quarterbacks if you're going to take two quarterbacks then I'm okay with it you you take him and then you know keep recruiting a you know Gavin Wimsett or some of the other top quarterbacks but right now if you're only going to take one quarterback I don't think he's the guy you take because I just don't see the ball jump out of his hand the way you need uh, a top quarterback to do it. And he doesn't have the athleticism to overcome that as far as being able to go out and make plays with his legs. So um, 
you know, I, I think that's there. And it does, does for does Indy have a chance with Deion Coles? We talked about that a little bit earlier. Last one, Ohio Irish, two part question. Our defense seems to to once again be our strength. What is our big question mark on the defense? So to me, that one, I don't I don't have one. They I have two that go hand in hand. Number one is, I think the D line is going to be pretty good against the run, which is funny because they they weren't great against it last year. But I thought they played a lot better down the stretch. I still want to know where the pass rush is going to come from, from the front four. Can Adi Ogundiji be that guy? Can Daylon Hayes be that guy? Can Isaiah Foskey be that guy? Can Ovia Gofu be that guy? Can the D tackles provide more of a pass rush? Does does Jason Adamiola kind of turn his – he hasn't been much of a pass rusher in college, but he was a big-time pass rusher up the middle in high school. Does he start to kind of – as part of his breakout season becoming a more dominant pass rusher? I mean, th- those are questions that we need to see. Can Myron Tungvaloa finish off some of his good pressures with actually getting to the quarterback? Those those are things we need to see. But if the D-line steps up and plays well, then my big question mark is no longer a question mark, and that's corner. Um, it, it's I'm not concerned about corner if they're getting a good pass rush because I like Nick McLeod. I think he's a good, solid player. I like Tariq Bracey a lot. I think Sean Crawford is a nickel. I, I, Isaiah Rutherford and Cam Hart. Cam Hart's a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing him playing this year. I really love his athleticism and size and physicality. I really want to see what he can do. But is he ready yet? We don't know. If those guys have to cover all day, they're going to struggle if they can't get after the quarterback. But if they can get after the quarterback, those are all instinctive guys that can make plays in a football that could could force a lot of turnovers and broken up passes. So if the pass rush is good – I don't really have any concerns about the defense other than just health. If the pass rush struggles, then I'm a little bit more concerned about the cornerback and even to a degree the safety position than I would be if the pass rush is strong. That So that would be that. And then next, do you see Tommy Reese and Jeff Quinn stepping up this year and producing a well-run offense? Don't know. Haven't seen it. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that it's going to happen. Uh, I think that's the key to this team, being a championship team. Like, look, even if the defense is just really good but not elite, if the offense finally plays to its potential, this is a team that I think can make a run at the a national championship, especially with no Ohio State. I mean, you don't have to worry about beating Ohio State now. So, you know, I think this is a team that has the tools in, in, in a lot of places to make that kind of run, but they're not going to do it if the offense doesn't doesn't be more elite. And and I'm not even talking about, okay, are they going to average 40 points at the end of the year? It's, it's not even about that. It's how are you going to play in the big games? Can you, can you bail your defense out when they have an off day, number one? And then number two, can you go out there and score 24, 27, 30 points against the best teams on your schedule, which you, you need to do? I mean, if, if, they could score, you know, if they could score 24 points against Georgia the last three years, they're 2-0 and against Georgia, Right. If they could have just scored 31 points against Clemson, then 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 they can beat Clemson. They need to score 40. Just needed to score 31. So, you know, I think those those are the things that I need to see from this offense. Is can you can you play can you play well enough in those games to go out there and win? And, and that's what we're going to need to find out from Tommy Reese and Jeff Quinn. And if they do it, if they prove me and some of the other doubters wrong, then this is going to be a really fun year for Notre Dame. And I think whether you think Tommy Reese is the right hire or not, I think we can all agree. If you're a Notre Dame fan, as a Notre Dame analyst. I think that I hope that the people that think it was a great hire are right. I think the people that think Jeff Quinn now in year three is going to get the job done are right. Because if it is, we're going to have a lot more fun on Saturdays, uh, whether it be as a fan or whether it be as an analyst breaking down a film. It's a lot more fun to break down a really good football team than it is a decent football team that under underachieves. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that I'm wrong on that one, and I'm hoping that those guys have do a great job and they put a great product on the field. I think they're capable of it. 
just got to see him do it. So that's going to be it for today, Friday, August 28th. We will be back with you again on Monday. Going to have some big announcements next week as we get closer and closer to game week. I'm looking forward to it. Going to have lots of great content at IrishBreakdown.com. Make sure you're going to you look out for that. I'm going to have a lot more opponent analysis coming up. I'm going to start having some recruiting breakdowns coming up. Going to have an article coming up here very soon where, where I talk about how I you know who I think is impacted the most by this whole NCAA eligibility rule. And just uh, obviously you're going to all the latest on Notre Dame football. You're going to still get that at IrishBreakdown.com. And a reminder that our new deal: if you sign up now for $5.99 a month or $59.99 for a year. You get all of our premium content. You get a free subscription to Notre Dame to Sports Illustrated, the magazine. You're going to get free access to all the premium content and boards for the NFL sites once they go live, which is going to happen here hopefully very soon. And uh, and you get uh, free access to the digital uh, edition of the 2020 NFL football preview. So you get all of that, plus you get 30 days for free. So you end up getting 13 months for all this. So if you really think about if you have 13 months of access for a year membership, for fifty nine ninety nine, it's even cheaper than four ninety nine a month if you really think about it, because we're going to give you thirty free days. So, great time to sign up. And the best part about it, in a year or in thirteen months, when your subscription ends and you renew, it's it's not going to ding you more. It, this is our rate. So jump on board. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm telling you, you guys are going to love the content that we're doing this year. I'm finally starting to get somewhat excited about the season actually taking place, which makes me nervous. But I uh, hope you guys are too, and I appreciate all of you helping to make this last month such a, a, a great time of growth. And, of, of course, this week we've really taken off and we're really starting to get, get our numbers up there. So I want to thank all of you for being a part of that. But make sure you come join us on a premium basis because uh, you're, you're going to really enjoy the stuff that we're putting out. So for um, the rest of the Irish Breakdown staff, obviously Vince will be back with me on Monday. Hope you guys have a great, safe, fun, happy weekend. Listen to each other, talk to each other, show respect towards each other. And if we all do that and we all come from a place of love and respect with each other and not assume the worst in each other, we can do great things in this country. And that's what I love about about the United States of America. So let's make sure we all keep that in mind, whether you agree with me politically or you don't agree with me politically. We're all Americans. And I think deep down, the vast majority of us want the same thing. So let's start working towards what that is and show respect to each other. And I think we could accomplish amazing things. So have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again soon.